And how many are glad to be in the Lord's house today? Amen. How many are thankful for what you feel in the Lord's house today? Amen. I feel the presence of the Lord and I'm very thankful to know that when we join together in His name to worship Him, that He'll meet us here every single time. Very thankful for this opportunity to stand before you to preach the Word of God. I want to say thank you to your pastor and his wife for allowing me to be in service with you today. After I had that cancellation, you never know what's going to happen. But I'm just glad to have this opportunity and I want to thank you so much for trusting me with your pulpit on a Sunday morning. As I always say when a pastor leaves the pulpit with me when he goes somewhere else, it's a double honor. And he did that before he allowed me to stand in it when he was here. So I'm just especially thankful to Pastor Sullivan for the work that he does here. And I enjoyed that camp meeting that I was able to be a part of here last week. The Lord really moved and touched and I'm thankful for what I received here. And I know you all received as well from the Lord during last week's camp meeting and believing God for great and mighty things in his house today. I'll be honest with you, when I left three weeks ago, I brought just about every message that I had in my bag with me to come and to preach in these different places that I've been in. And I brought this one message that I'm going to preach to you this morning in hopes that I was going to be able to preach it. And I've tried and tried as the pastor and Brother Brown, you know how that goes. I've tried and tried to preach this message everywhere that I've gone. But every single time, the Lord always lays something else on my heart. But as I was praying last night, I finally felt the go-ahead where I can preach this this morning, believing God to help us to preach His Word and to meet us in an altar of prayer. If you have your Bibles this morning, stand with me, please, and turn to the book of 1 Peter. The book of 1 Peter, chapter 1, beginning at verse number 3. This is a very familiar portion of Scripture. If you've read your Bible or been around church very long, you've heard this passage preached on, but I want to revisit it this morning and see what the Lord would have to say to his people. First Peter chapter 1 and verse number 3. When you have the scripture, would you say amen? amen? The apostle Peter writes and says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you, who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time, wherein ye greatly rejoice, though now for a season, if need be, ye are in heaviness through manifold temptations, that the trial of your faith, being much more precious than of gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ, whom having not seen ye love, in whom though now ye see him not, yet believing, ye rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, even the salvation of your souls. If you would look back with me, please, to verse number five. This is where we'll take our text today. He writes and says, Who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. For the next little while, I want to preach to you on a very simple thought pulled right from the scripture. Kept by the power of God. Kept by the power of God. Would you stretch your hands this way? 
I've needed the Lord to help me before, but I need him especially this morning to anoint me to preach his word. So would you pray with me? Father of heaven, I come before you this morning in the name of Jesus. I thank you for this opportunity to stand before your people to deliver the word of Almighty God. I pray this morning, Lord, that you would anoint me with fresh oil, with fresh anointing to deliver your word to your people. I believe this is what you've laid on my heart for this service. So I ask and pray this morning, Father, that you would save the sinner, that you would stir the saint of God, Lord, that you would revive our hearts once again in your presence today, Lord. I ask that your special anointing would be upon me to preach your word. Let every word flow freely from the throne of grace. Lord, and I pray that you would anoint your people that are assembled in this place today. That we would hear and receive of your word, God. And for all that is accomplished in an altar of prayer, we'll give you the praise, the glory, and the honor. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. And everybody that loved him said, Amen. Amen. Turn to your neighbor and tell him, if I don't help Brother Fulgen preach today, I'll give you $100 at the end of this service. I say that to say this, sometimes you can buy an amen. Amen. <laughs> Kept by the power of God. To know that you are protected by God's power is strength and hope to your soul as a Christian. As the children of God, we have been identified as people of hope. However, this is contrary to the pattern of this world. The way of the world we live in is to focus solely on everything negative. The way of the world is to focus and to concentrate on the negative. Every day when you open your eyes to the world around you, you see nothing but bad news being promoted, it always seems. But in the midst of all the bad news being published, we are the bearers and the propagators of good news. When others are easily swayed and shaken by the cares of this life, we have the assurance that we can cast all of our cares upon Him, knowing that He cares for us. In the beginning verses of 1 Peter, the apostle is writing to strengthen the brethren. That was the command of Christ to Peter before he left this world. He said to go and strengthen the brethren. And he begins by showing us who we really are in Christ Jesus our Lord. In verse 2, he shows us that we are chosen by God. He wrote to the elect, he said. That word elect, it means chosen. You're not here this morning by happenstance. You're not here this morning just by chance, but you've been chosen by Almighty God. I'm not going to stand and preach Calvinist doctrine to you, but the truth of the matter is that God has chosen us as His children. He's placed His stamp of approval upon us as a child of God. So not only are we chosen by God in verse 2, but in verse 3 He says we are the children of God. The verse says that we have been begotten again. That word, it means born again. We've been purchased. We've been paid for so that we can join a new family, the family of God. We are the children of God. But then in verse 4, we find out that we are the heirs of God. 
to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled that fadeth not away, reserved, prepared, already picked out in heaven for you. But after he tells us who we really are in Christ, he makes one more statement that I want to focus on in the message this morning. He says, who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. So not only do we find out that we're chosen by God, that we're the children of God, that we are the heirs of God, but he says that we are kept by the power of God. One of the greatest assurances of our faith is to know that we do not have to depend on our strength alone to make sure we have victory in everyday Christian life. Rather, we're guarded, we're kept, we're shielded and protected by the great power of God. We can't depend on our own might to fight against the enemy of our souls. We can't depend on our own strength because that will fail every time. So we must find something to link ourselves to. We must find something to fall on to in that time of need. We need the keeping power of God because we have a very real enemy. You can rest assured this morning that there is a devil who desires nothing more than to see you destroyed. There's a devil who wants to rob you of your faith, your hope, your joy, and your salvation. That's the very reason that Paul reminded us that we must fight the good fight of faith. When you entered into covenant relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, whether you realized it or not, you enlisted in spiritual warfare. When you went to the altar, you prayed that prayer and sought after the face of God. You were saved and there was joy that entered into your heart like you had never experienced in all of your life. You felt the joy of being a child of God. And somebody might have told you, but I doubt somebody told you standing at an altar of prayer that you've just enlisted in war. That you're inviting the devil to fight against you because you've now become a child of God. That would have snatched away most of that joy that you felt in that moment if somebody would have told you that. But when you entered into covenant relationship, that's exactly what happens. You join into an army of soldiers that fight for the Lord. And that spiritual warfare that we're involved in every day of our lives is fought on three main fronts. It's fought in three different areas. And you've heard this time and time again. We fight against the world, the flesh, and the devil. However, many isolate just one. They focus on just one, and they always lose the battle. If you only focus on your enemy, the world, then you take on sort of an Amish mentality. You say, well, if I'll just get rid of all of my electricity, if I'll get rid of my car, if I'll get rid of my television, lock myself in the house, and separate myself from the world, then I'll have victory in everyday life. But you forget there's still a devil that's trying to fight you and there's still a flesh on the inside of you that's at enmity with God. Then there are those among our own ranks that seemingly blame the devil for everything bad that goes on. The devil made me do it. 
The devil's the reason we're having this problem. But then, even in that moment, we forget that we're still in enmity with the world and there's still a flesh inside of us that desires to sin. So what we've got to understand this morning is that the world, the flesh, and the devil, all three work together to bring defeat in the life of the Christian. The goal of the world, the goal of the flesh, and the goal of the devil is very simple. It's to get you to sin as a child of God. And if you play around with sin, it will eventually take you over. If you allow sin to take up residence in your heart, it will affect every single area of your life. It will affect you mentally, it will affect you emotionally and spiritually. Sin is powerful and it has an effect even on the child of God if you begin to allow it place within your heart. There have been many times in the Bible that sin has been compared to the disease of leprosy. Leprosy causes uncleanness. It results in separation. It eats away at its victims and ultimately consumes them. It renders the nervous system of the body so insensitive that the destruction is not painful at the time it occurs. And leprosy is incurable. There's no cure for it aside from the miracle working power of Almighty God. So what I want you to understand about leprosy this morning is that when somebody would be walking down the road, if they had leprosy, they would have to separate themselves from the rest of the crowd. But they could literally be walking down the road with leprosy and their hand could just fall off into the ground. That's what leprosy does to the body of an individual. It eats away at your flesh, but it also at the same time robs you of that feeling. It causes your nervous system to be insensitive. It takes away all kind of feeling, but that's a spiritual thing as well. One of the worst judgments that God can allow to come on a person is for them to come to the place that they can't even feel conviction of sin anymore. It's easy easier to put it off. It's easier to say, I'm going to deal with it later. It's easy to say, I'm going to wait until the next revival. I'm going to wait until the next camp meeting to deal with a sin problem. But as you continue in sin, as you allow sin to take place in your heart, it robs you of feeling guilt. It eats away at you piece by piece. And in the Sunday school lesson this morning, the brother mentioned this verse of scripture in Ephesians chapter 4 where the apostle Paul writes and says who being past feeling have given themselves over unto lasciviousness to work with all uncleanness with greediness. Think about when you first got saved and you faced that temptation when the devil began to dangle those things in front of your eyes and let's just say that you fell to it. You're saved. You're a new Christian. You're born again. The devil tempts you. Let's just say that you fell to that temptation. Immediately, you're overcome with guilt. Immediately, that heart starts pumping knowing that you failed the God that has just lifted you up out of sin. Immediately, you feel that guilt begin to grip your heart. But let's say after you repent that the devil comes again and he tempts you with the same thing. If you continue in it, if you continue in that same kind of sin 
and allow it to have a dwelling place in you, your conscience is seared with a hot iron, the Bible says. Eventually, there will come a point in your life where that conviction will not be as strong anymore as you begin to feel comfortable in your sin. But I've come to tell you on a Sunday morning that when sin begins to take place in your heart, when sins begin to grip your life and to shake you to your very core, that is the time to take another trip back to the altar. When sin begins to take place in your heart, that's the time to find the place of God's presence, to go back to the foot of the cross and repent and turn away from that sin and begin to walk in the victory that has been provided by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Readers of God's word do not pass through many pages before they discover the reality of the power of evil. The apostle Peter said on another occasion that the devil goes about as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. It's his job to fight against you as the child of God. Will you say to me, preacher, why doesn't he just fight against the world? The answer to that is very simple. He's already got them in his hand. They're already serving him. They're already following after him. So his job is to fight against you as the child of God. So the devil goes about as a roaring lion. And in study I found that lions only roar with with one purpose in mind. They roar to incite fear in the heart of the victim. Even a capable victim will fall when they feel fear begin to grip them. Even when a victim of that lion would be stronger and possibly even able to endure the attack, when the lion begins to roar louder and louder, that fear begins to grip the heart of that victim. So the bigger the victim, the louder the lion has to roar. I want you to know as a child of God this morning, there's power on the inside of you that is greater than the power of the enemy. There's power that resides in your heart this morning that the enemy does not have. And if he knows that he can't get you one way, he's going to begin to roar in your ear. He's going to place lies within your mind. He'll whisper them in your ear and it'll grow louder and louder trying to drown out the voice of God in your life. It's the enemy's job to steal, to kill, and to destroy. He may come as an angel of light. He may come aiming to trick and to deceive, but he comes loudly. He comes proudly as a lion to come and whisper something and to roar in your ear. But I've come with hope this morning. All the enemy really can do is to roar because when Jesus went to the cross of Calvary, I believe that Satan lost his bite against the child of the living God. So I've come to tell you on a Sunday morning that it may seem hard to hear the voice of God. You may be in a place where it seems like all you can hear is the lies of the devil, but I want you to know that you are kept, that you're guarded, that you're shielded by the power of God. There's something on the inside of you that is given you victory over the enemy of your soul. The devil goes about as 
a roaring lion. And I promise I'll get past this in just a moment. But the devil goes about as a roaring lion. Jesus said that Satan is a liar and the father of lies. Meaning that he may go around acting like a roaring lion, but he isn't one. He goes about as trying to be a roaring lion, but it isn't who he is. But I'll tell you who is a lion. The book of Revelation said that they were looking for somebody to open the book. And heaven was silent because they were trying to find somebody who was able to open the book. It seemed as if they couldn't find anybody. But then they said that one has prevailed. That one has the power and that is the lion of the tribe of Judah. And I've come to encourage you on a Sunday morning that that fake lion, he may be roaring in your ear. He may be lying to you and telling you that you have no power but greater is he that is within you than he that is in the world. You're serving the lion of the tribe of Judah. You're serving the genuine. You're serving the real. You're serving the glorious Savior that has given you victory through himself. But just because you're serving the lion of the tribe of Judah doesn't mean you're going to be able to escape temptation every time. In Matthew chapter 4, Jesus himself was out in the wilderness and Satan came to tempt him and to trap him with sin. Satan started with a small trap. He said to him, if you really are the son of God, You've been out here fasting. You've pushed away the plate. You haven't been eating. You've been out here in the wilderness. But if you're really the Son of God, look at these stones and turn them into bread. It was a small trap. It was a small temptation. But Jesus immediately spoke back and said, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. But then as Jesus endured the first temptation, Satan came again and things began to intensify. The devil took Jesus up to a pinnacle. He said, if thou be the son of God, cast thyself down. For it is written, he shall give his angels charge concerning thee and in their hands they shall bear thee up lest at any time thou dash thy foot against the stone. Jesus said to him again, it is written thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God so we see that Jesus endured two temptations out in the wilderness but as things continued to intensify as the devil continued to work there was one final temptation this was the goal of Satan the whole time it was never his end goal to get Jesus to turn a stone into bread. It was never his end goal to cause Jesus to jump off of a pinnacle. His goal was to receive the worship of Jesus Christ. 
So what he did was he took Jesus up to a high mountain. He showed him all the kingdoms of the world. And he said, I'll give all of this to you for the low price if you'll just bow down and worship me. He said, I want you to bow down and everything you see can be yours. But Jesus spoke back to him in power and in victory and said, you can just go on somewhere because thou shalt shalt worship the Lord thy God and him only shalt thou serve. I've come to tell you don't fall to the lies that the enemy whispers in your ear. Don't fall when that enemy begins to cloud your mind with temptation. You have a Savior that has already endured it all. You have a Savior that has endured the temptation that is hung upon the cross so that you can walk in total victory. The weapon the enemy uses to do his evil work is sin. And if you're a Christian this morning, you need to understand something about sin. I guess I'm just going to teach the Sunday school lesson all over again. It's just not about making small mistakes, telling little white lies, or showing weakness. That's not what sin is about. The Bible tells us that sin is powerful. It's deceitful and it ultimately destroys. Sin has dogged the path of the people of God throughout the entirety of the Bible. It's Adam eating of a forbidden fruit. He was tempted and he fell. It's Cain substituting a lesser offering because it didn't cost him quite as much. It's Noah coming through the flood but then falling to alcohol, falling and getting drunk. Then it's Abraham lying about his wife. It's Lot craving the ways of the world. It's Jacob cheating his brother out of the birthright. It's David committing adultery and cold-blooded murder. It's the people of Israel worshiping idols. It's Peter denying him. It's Ananias lying to the Holy Ghost. It's Simon trying to buy God's Holy Ghost power. Sin has followed the people of God throughout the entirety of time. But I want you to know without the shadow of a doubt. Hear me and hear me well. It is not a sin to be tempted. Temptation is not a sin. Because Jesus Christ himself had to endure temptation. In Matthew chapter 4, I already preached it to you. He endured the temptation. But Paul said in 1 Corinthians 10 and 13, There hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. That means it's going to happen to everybody. The devil is going to come and try to tempt you to fall into sin. But Paul said, God is faithful. God will stand with you as the child of God who will not suffer you to be tempted above that which you are able but will with the temptation also make a way of escape that you may be able to bear it. Hebrews 4 and 15 
says, For we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. The devil desires for you to fall to his temptation, but we serve a God who has power to keep you from sin. He has power to keep you from falling. The book of Jude said it in verse 24. Now unto him that is able to keep you from falling. That's the God that we serve this morning. And there's one thing for sure. There's one thing for certain. And it's this God is bigger than we see him. We're made in his image. He's greater than we are. His power is unlimited. And while I'm here, he is bigger than the devil wants you to think that he is. He's bigger than the enemy wants you to think that he is. And his power is so great that it cannot be measured. And it's by that power, the unlimited power of God, that we are kept, that we're guarded, and that we're shielded and protected. And the power of God can be seen all throughout the Bible. The power of God can be seen in the creation story. Before time ever began, our God was. He has always been and He always will be. There has never been a moment that He did not exist. Moses said, before the mountains were brought forth, or ever thou hadst formed the earth and the world, even from everlasting to everlasting, thou art God. That same God that has always been, he looked out into an expanse of absolutely nothing, and what did he do? He just started talking. And Psalm 33 and 6 said, by the word of the Lord were the heavens made, and all the host of them were framed by by the words of his mouth. Hebrews 11 and 3 says. Through faith we understand. That the worlds were framed. By the word of God. So that things which are seen. Were not made as things. Which do appear. I'm just telling you this morning. God's power can be seen. In creation. Everything that you see in this world. Was formed by the power of God. It was formed. By his mighty creative hand. He made it all and without him was not anything made that was made and now the psalmist declares in Psalm 19 and 1 that the heavens themselves the heavens declare the glory of God so every day when you open up your window every day when you open up your front door this morning when you left the house you threw the front door open and you started walking in the glory of God because everything you've laid your eyes on today has been created by the hand of God there's nothing here that's ever been formed by man there's things that have been brought together in a composite that's been formed by men but nothing has ever been truly created except by the hand of God but not only were the 
elements created. Not only were material things created, but we were created by the hand of God. And Psalm 103 says, Know ye that the Lord, He is God. It is He that hath made us, and not we ourselves. We are His people and the sheep of His pasture. That's why I can stand this morning and boldly declare to you that every breath I take, it's because of Him. Every time I wake up and see a new day, it's because of Him. I can rejoice this morning in knowing it's not my breath inside of me, but it's the breath of God that's keeping me alive. And it's in Him that we live. It's in Him that we move. And in Him we have our being. I know I'm created by the power of God. And the same God that made me is the God who will keep me until His time comes. So not only can we see His power in creation, but we can see His power in leading and providing for His people. He created man. Man was formed into millions of people. But then He created a nation called Israel. And God's children, Israel, they were stuck in Egyptian bondage. They were trapped under the strong arm of Pharaoh. But God decided that enough was enough. He delivered them by His own mighty power. Then He led them into the wilderness where the menu every day was a miraculous provision of manna. But while they were out in the wilderness, the Israelites began to grumble and complain because they couldn't enjoy the variety of food that they had back in Egypt. They couldn't enjoy the buffet that they had back in Egypt. So they began to grumble and to complain. But in response, God promised to them to give them a diet of meat for an entire month. After feeding of 5,000 seems difficult. Think about God feeding meat to 2 million people for a month. And Moses began to express his concern to God when God spoke this to him, he said, the people among whom I am are 600,000 footmen. And thou hast said, I will give them flesh that they may eat a whole month. Shall the flocks and the herds be slain for them to suffice them? Then Moses said, or shall all the fish of the sea be gathered together for them to suffice them. But God spoke back to Moses right in the middle of his doubt, right in the middle of his questioning, and God asked him one more question. He said, is the Lord's hand waxed short? God stopped Moses right in his doubt and said, is the Lord's hand waxed short? Thou shalt see now whether my word shall come to pass unto thee or not. What God really was asking him was, is my power limited? Is my ability limited? He's a God who is great and awesome in power. And friend, I'm telling you this morning that for that entire month, God provided for his people. But the same God that provided for the Israelites out in the wilderness after they 
that came from Egypt is the God who is still able to provide for me and for you. The same God that done that is still in the providing business today. He is still Jehovah Jireh. He's still the God who will provide. And friend Paul said to us, but my God shall supply all of your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. He's a God who will lead and he will provide for his people. But thirdly, as I'm moving along, not only can we see his power in creation and in leading, providing for his people, but we can see the power of God, especially in redemption. Man lost it all in the Garden of Eden. I don't need to preach the story to you. You know exactly what happened there. Adam and Eve fell. But God had to redeem them and had to redeem us back to himself. That was no easy task. And yet through his own power, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Everything man lost in the garden, Jesus bought it back on a hill called Calvary. We serve a powerful God. That God who has loved us enough to give his son so that we might be saved. And through that great power, through the power we see in creation, through the power we see in providing, through the power that we see in redemption, Peter said that we are kept by the power of God. It's that power that's holding you in his hand this morning. Amen. It's that power that's keeping you this morning. And I'm not going to stand and preach unconditional eternal security to you. But I will say this. If you want to stay saved, you will stay saved. There's power to help you stay safe. But if you're left on your own to fight the enemy, it's going to end in hopeless defeat. Yet so many are trying that. They're trying to fight the devil every day on their own accord, by their own strength and by their own power. And then they wonder why they fall every single time. But I'm telling you, a child of God is never left alone in the heat of the battle. When the devil comes in and begins to cloud your mind with temptation where it seems that you can't even think straight when the enemy comes in like a flood I want to give you a reminder this morning you just begin to tell the devil what the word of God has to say you just begin to remind him that it was at the cross that his back was broken it was at the cross that Jesus gave him utter defeat and now you can know that the angel of the Lord encampeth round about them that fear him and delivereth them. The Bible said that the Son of Man hath power on the earth. Jesus said that we've been given power to become the sons of God. He said that we've been endued with power from on 
high. He said, Behold, I give unto you power to tread on serpents and scorpions. I'm talking about the power of God. Jesus said, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Then he said to us, But you shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost is come upon you. The power of God is available to you this morning. And James said that if you'll just submit yourself to God, you can resist the devil and he will flee from you. This might be elementary Sunday school preaching this morning, but God's power is still greater than the power of the devil. And if God be for me, then who can be against me? Every power of heaven is standing with me and I can endure the temptation because of Jesus Christ, the Son of the living God. Give the Lord a hand of praise. I'm going to bring this message to a close. The question must be asked, how do you walk in the keeping power of God? It sounds good. It sounds great. But how do you walk in the keeping power of God? He's able to keep you in His care. But what you have to do is exercise your faith. I believe it was Sister Grace and that family that was singing just a couple or last week in the camp meeting. They said, every step I take is a step of faith. You have to do that. You have to exercise that faith. You have to rely on that power. Just as it takes faith to be saved, it takes faith to stay saved. Satan knows that faith is what links you to the power of God. So Peter said, who are kept by the power of God through faith. Everything you receive from God is by faith. And that's how you walk in his care. That's how you walk under his protection. How do you make it? Through the attack of faith. You can ask a man named Job. A man who had no Bible. A man who had no Holy Ghost. A man who had no blood of Jesus. When he faced the temptation and the trial of his faith, everything was set against him. His own wife came to him not to tempt him with sin but to tell him to sin. There was no temptation involved. She didn't tempt him. She told him, curse God and die. Just give up. But Job knew one thing. The God who brought him into this world, the God who had held him thus far was going to keep him until the end. The God who got him started was the God who was going to carry him through. And Job said, naked came I into this world, and naked will I return thither. The Lord gave, and the Lord hath taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. In my attack of faith, Job said, I'm going to praise him. I'm going to worship him and walk by faith and not by sight. How do you make it through the attack of faith? You can ask three Hebrew boys. Brother Hinton preached so well during that camp meeting about the fiery furnace and how those three Hebrew boys had a but if not faith. They knew they were being protected by the power of God.
But even if they died in the attack, they were going to still serve him. Because they knew to die is to gain when you're serving the Lord. But not only that, probably my favorite story I can share with you is when Daniel endured his attack of faith. He was told that if you would continue to pray, that punishment was going to come. But Daniel made the decision, I'm still going to pray. I'm still going to seek God. I'm still going to call out to Him, even if it means I have to endure the punishment. So he prayed. They found him. And what did they do? They threw him into a den of lions. These were hungry. They were ready to eat. But when Daniel got in there, he had faith to believe in the keeping power of God. Psalm 121 said that the Lord is our keeper. And Daniel had faith to believe in the keeping power of God. But his friend, the king, was still worried. He walked and paced the floors of the palace all night. And then the morning came. As soon as the dawn came, that king ran out there to go and find Daniel and see if he made it through the night. So he threw away that covering over the door and said, Daniel, did you make it? Did you endure? Did you see yourself through? Did God help you through? And Daniel said to him, O king, live forever. The God that I serve has shut the mouth of the lions. I've lived to see another day. But before we rejoice too hard, I want to tell you this. The same God that shut the mouth of the lions for Daniel is the same God that can shut the mouth of the lion that's been roaring in your ear. The same God that closed the mouth of the lions for Daniel is the God who can close the mouth of that liar that's been whispering in your ear. I've come with encouragement for you on a Sunday morning that you're not in this battle alone, but the Lord is standing with you. He's equipped you. He's empowered you to know that you're kept by His mighty power. You're held in the hollow of His hand. He's not going to let go of you. He's got you and He'll hold you. As long as you keep your hand in His hand, He'll be there with you until the very end. It is faith that connects you to the source of victory. It's faith that connects you to the power of God. The power of what Jesus accomplished at the cross is what has given us victory. And Paul said, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. We are still more than conquerors through him. But here's where I want to leave you. Philippians 1 and 6, you've heard it many times. You've read it in your Bibles. Being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun, started a good work in you, 
will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. What God has started in you, the work He has begun in your heart, He will see it through. How does He do it? By His own keeping power. You may be here this morning and you feel like you've endured temptation like never before. The devil has been tempting you to fall into sin. It's real, church. The devil fights against the children of God. Maybe the devil's been tempting you to fall into sin. Maybe it's Satan's devices that are fighting against your family, that are fighting against your home, fighting against your mind, whatever it may be. It doesn't have to be a temptation to sin. You may just be in a trial of your faith this morning and you need a reassurance of the keeping power of God. You're the one I'm here for. I know that God is able to hold you, to protect you, to guard you by His power. That's who we're serving this morning. The God who is greater than anything this world has to offer. Would you bow your heads this morning? Father, I pray that you would take this attempt that I've made to preach your word and that you would use it in the hearts and the lives of all of those seated before me. I pray if there's a sinner in this house that they would not be able to leave this place until they know that all is well between their soul and their Savior. God, I pray that you would help a Christian this morning that's struggling with temptation. A Christian that's enduring the trial of their faith. God, I pray that you would help them. Move upon your people, I pray. In the name of Jesus. As every head is bowed, as every eye is closed, I just want to ask. This may take honesty, but you say to me, Brother Folger, I needed this this morning. I need to know that God is keeping me. You say, I've been enduring a temptation of my faith. Whether it be sin, whether it be just an attack of the devil, whether it be just life that's been thrown at you in a way that's not enjoyable. Whatever it may be, you're enduring something and you need God to strengthen you today. Would you raise your hand? There's hands going up all over this place. I just need the strength of God today. Would you stand all across this place? Would you stand? The sister's going to begin to sing. And if she does, I want to, if you raise your hand, I want you to step out of your seat and find a place down to this altar prayer. It's time to pray and seek the face of God. Would you come this morning? Let's fill this altar up and pray. Seek the face of God. Let's call upon Him this morning while He's near to us. Hallelujah.